Well, good morning again. Uh, no matter what the chalkboard says, it is not Epiphany. Uh, that was last Sunday. Uh, we just didn't quite get to everything today, sorry. Uh, but we, uh, we are moving on from Advent and Epiphany and uh, have left the Christmas season behind us, sad tear, um, and are moving on to a new series over the next six weeks uh, as we share together uh, a little bit about who we are uh, as a congregation and as a community. We want to take a look uh, over the next six weeks that we have together uh, at our core practices and our mission as uh, a church, as University Christian Church here uh, in uh, Cincinnati, in Clifton, on this corner, in this place, in this time. Uh, and so uh, over the next six weeks, we're going to take a look at that. We're just, we're really honestly just kind of scratching at the surface of this. Um, we're going to talk about it for the next six weeks, and then we'll move into Lent and Easter season after that. And, and after Easter, we're going to come back and do a deeper dive uh, into some of these things. So uh, over the next few weeks, you're going to hear me and Meg and Marty um, share about some of our, our core practices as a church. And, and if you, um, you're like, oh, well, that's really interesting, but that, that doesn't seem like there seems like there's more to that there. That's because there is. And we'll come back to that. Uh, after Easter and, and take a little bit more in-depth look at some of that. Um, our core practices um, that we have as a church, and you can find these, by the way, they're on the website, universitychristianchurch.net. Um, you can find those core practices with a little word of explanation about them, and, and they kind of encapsulate and explain our, our uniqueness um, as a community and as a body here. Um, and they're not, they're not, these core practices are not doctrines, per se, um, they're, they're not what we believe. Um, there's, a, there's a wide variety of belief among us, even in this room, on, on, a, on all sorts of different theological matters. Uh, and so our core practices are not what we believe, but they're more about how we live our belief together as a people. This is how we've decided to, to take all of these things that we believe in and, and coexist and live them out as a community. And so over the next few weeks, we want to talk about what that means, about how we choose to live together as a people of faith, as a people of, of faith and doubt, as a people of uh, questions and a people uh, who are seeking, uh, people who are trying to live like Jesus, um, uh, people who love Jesus um, uh, and want to love him better. Uh, and the practice that we want to look at today is uh, the first of these, these four core practices that we're going to look at is local life together. Uh, one of the things that, that we practice as a church is local life together. And uh, our definition of that uh, says that apart from commitment to a specific group of people, we will never reach real maturity in Christ. And we get this idea from Ephesians 4.13. Uh, that says that, that Christ is building us all together as a body to reach maturity. And so we believe um, that local life together helps us to grow in Christ and to reach maturity as the people of Christ, as the body of Christ. Um, what are we talking about when we talk about local life together? Uh, we're talking about three things. And, and again, after Easter, we'll dive more into these three um, uh, more deeply. But but uh, very quickly, the three things that we're talking about when we talk about local life together, what it means for us to live together, are regular fellowship within the body and among the regulars, uh, regular patrons at Rose Street Cafe, uh, reaching those on the edges by extending hospitality and generosity to everyone that we encounter, and rooting deeply in place, enjoying nature and seeking God's goodness in all of creation. 
to what we mean when we talk about local life together. We're talking about time with, with each other, time with people who come into our building, both on Sundays and throughout the week in Rose Street. We're talking about uh, reaching those who are on the fringe, on the edge, on the margin uh, around us, those uh, that have been uh, discarded or who are um, unwanted uh, by society around us. And we're talking about being rooted where we are. We live in a very specific place in the world. And so we enjoy the goodness of God here and, and his creation, uh, both uh, nature and uh, humanity here. This is what we mean uh, when we talk about being, uh, 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 about doing local life together. What, we, what we're talking about is practicing a life um, with each other and with the marginalized in a very particular place in creation, or uh, to use a singular word, we might call that being incarnational. We are an incarnational people, and we practice local life together. Uh, is this the only way that we experience faith? Absolutely not. It's, is this the only way that we connect with Jesus? No. Uh, we believe that it is one of the things that God has called us to, but not the only thing. We believe that it is one of the ways that we reach for maturity, but not the only way. We believe that it is one of the ways that we grow in Christ, but not the only way. Uh, and because uh, we can see God engaging in local life together throughout the scriptures himself, we believe that it's something that, that we ought to do, something that we're called to do, something that we ought to emulate. Uh, from before the beginning, we see God engaging in this idea of life together. From before the beginning, God was in community with God's self. Through the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, before there was humanity, before there was a universe, before there was creation, we believe that God existed. God pre-exists all that we uh, see, all that we, can, we can, um, uh, all that we can understand through our senses now. We believe that God pre-existed that and that he pre-existed that in perfect harmony and community with himself, that God has always been in community. It is one of his defining characteristics that God the Creator, God the Son, and God the Spirit have enjoyed a harmony of community together. We, we see that as God creates in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and those two creation stories, that God creates in community. That God, uh, the Father, God, the Word, the Son, and God the Spirit are all together in creating in Genesis chapter 1, and that, that in Genesis chapter 2, he creates specifically for community. He, he looks at the world that he has made, and, and he says to, um, about the, the person that he's made, it's not good for this person to be alone, I, I'm going to make a partner for this person. And so God creates community. God even enters into that community himself, we're told that before sin entered the world, there was a time where God walked in and among us in the Garden of Eden and would pay regular visits to Adam and Eve. So from the beginning, God has existed in community. And in the Old Testament, we see that as well, that God longs for community with his people and keeps finding ways to exist in community with his people. We, we find God showing up in the Old Testament. He speaks to people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He, he shows up in, in miraculous ways. In the Exodus, he shows up as a, 
as a, a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud. He's there among his people, leading them through the wilderness. He, he makes a way for him to, for himself to dwell in the midst of his people. He causes a, uh, the people to build a, a, a tabernacle or a, a mobile temple, a giant tent where God essentially dwells in the middle of his people, and his people can surround them as they encamp in the wilderness. And, and then when they settle in Jerusalem, eventually a temple is built there, and God says, I'm going to live here among you because I long for community with you. I'm going to give you my law. I'm going to give you, give you my word so that you can have community with me as you engage in that. And we're, going to, we're going to do things like practice prayer, and we're going to do things like practice uh, the worship through song so that there's ways for us to connect with each other. I'm going to give you prophets who will come and speak my words to you so that you'll know that I'm still with you and that I care about you and that I love you and, and that you matter to me. God has always wanted community with his people and he's always been at work building community with his people. He has always been practicing this local life together because he is an incarnational God. Until finally, as we've celebrated through Advent, the incarnation itself comes to pass and God comes to be with us in the most amazing and miraculous way by becoming one of us by being born as Jesus of Nazareth to Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem all of those years ago. The incarnation, God with us. God decides to, to move into the neighborhood, as uh, uh, author and pastor Eugene Peterson puts it. I love that image, that God moves into our neighborhood. He, he, he took up residence among us. He came to be with us, to be one of us. In the New Testament, we, we find that God is with us as a particular person in a particular place and time, in a particular culture, with a particular language, in a particular family, in a particular nation, in a particular faith community. And we see him in the New Testament practicing this thing that, that we want to practice, local life together, because our God is an incarnational God. He wants to be present with his people. And so we see Jesus do this. We see Jesus be present with us. We see Jesus be present with his people. We, we see that Jesus engages in times of regular fellowship. Jesus uh, teaches in synagogues. He attends religious festivals. He eats and drinks with people. He travels with people. He surrounds himself with friends just like you and I do. In uh, Luke chapter 6, um, there is this uh, moment that it's encapsulated in most of the Gospels, but in, in Luke chapter 6, we find Jesus calling to himself some very particular people because he wants to do life with them. This is what Luke 6, 12 through 16 uh, say. This is how they read. Now during those days, he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, which is is how we know him best, which is one of the most unkind nicknames ever in the world. Um, it, it literally means blockhead. 
Uh, so next time you think about Peter, Jesus is kind of ribbing Peter uh, by calling him that. Uh, Simon, who he named Peter, and his brother Andrew, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Jesus um, spends time with God in prayer, and he spends time with people. He practices this local life together. He, he engages in regular fellowship both with his father and with his friends. He calls these 12 people to him and says, I, I want to do life together with you. And it's a radically diverse group of people. It's, it's fishermen and tax collectors. It's um, Honestly, religious extremists are part of this group, and, and so are collaborators with the Roman Empire. Uh, he travels around, we're told, with, with these 12 people, and also there's a group of women that, that go along with them. We find them in, in Luke chapter 8, that a group of women are named, and, and they go along with Jesus and his 12 apostles as well. He travels with both men and women, and he travels with people who are like him from his area of the country, from near where he lives, and he travels with people who are unlike him. He travels with people who share his vision, and he travels with people who he ends up being at odds with. But he cares about spending time in regular fellowship with people. And for three years, Jesus engages in this ongoing daily life together with these people. And I can't help but think that Jesus' mission here on earth might have been easier without them. So much of the gospel is Jesus having to take time out to explain to uh, Blockhead and the other 11 what he means when he says certain things or does certain things. So much of Jesus' time is, is actually correcting stuff that they get wrong helping them do the right thing or stopping them from doing the wrong thing. And it, it, Jesus could, could have done maybe so much more if he didn't spend time with these. But honestly, even though his mission might have been easier, it wouldn't have been better, I don't think. Because it wouldn't have been incarnational. It wouldn't have been God with us. It wouldn't have been this, this life together. Jesus models this for us, how important this is to have a group of people that are our people and to do life together with our people, with people we, we get along with, with people that it's hard to get along with, with people we agree with, with people we disagree with, with people who are like us and people who are unlike us, with people who share our passion and with people who will push back against us. It's important. It's important for us to to have life together in regular fellowship. It's what it means to be incarnational. And not only does Jesus do that with regular fellowship with his friends, but he also reaches to those who are on the margins. Jesus doesn't just hang out with the twelve, with those who share his vision. He reaches out to, to others as well. In fact, um, Luke chapter 6 continues right from that point. He's just selected the 12 and says, I want to do life with you. And then here's the very next thing that happens. This is verses 17, 18, and 19. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples 
and a great multitude of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And they had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And, in, and all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Jesus not only chose to spend time with the twelve, he chose to spend time with those who honestly were on the fringe of his society. In Jesus' society, to, to be diseased was to be outcast. There was no, there's no hospital for you to go to and get well. In Jesus' society, if you are that ill, you just have to leave society. You have to leave your home, you have to leave your neighbors, you have to, to go live in a community with other diseased peoples, and nobody else wants to have any involvement with you. Except Jesus does. He decides that he is going to, to reach to those who are on the margins, to those who are diseased, to those who are troubled with unclean spirits. If you were, if you were demon-possessed, or thought to be demon-possessed, you were outcast in Jesus' society. And yet Jesus allows himself to engage with people who are outcast from the rest of society, to, to touch them and to be touched by them, which in uh, Jesus' society is a, is a huge no-no. Because to touch someone who is diseased or who is possessed makes you unclean in, um, in the ritual worship of Judaism of this day and this age. And Jesus is willing to do that. He is willing to become um, an outcast of a, of a sort himself in order to be with those who are outcast from his society. He is willing to engage throughout the scripture. He he longs to engage again and again with those who are marginalized, with the poor, the diseased, the troubled, the unclean. He reaches to sinners, to prostitutes, to foreigners, to the possessed, to lepers. He reaches out to two groups of people that, that are incredibly marginalized in his own society that we often don't realize, to women and to children. Jesus spends time with people in his society that nobody else will. Because he is incarnational. Because he believes in life together. He believes that that kind of life is a better life. And so he involves himself in the life of those on the margins. He reaches into the margins. And in fact, uh, he says that the kingdom of God belongs to the people who are on the margins. Which is an incredible reversal of everything that was believed and taught in Jewish society in that time and in that place. And, and honestly, it's an incredible reversal of everything that's taught in Christian society in this time and in this place. That the kingdom of God belongs to the outcast and the downtrodden. That the kingdom of God belongs to the poor and the hurting and the suffering and the marginalized. Jesus says that this is true, and he says that this is the reason that he came into the world. Check out Luke chapter 4. Jesus goes to his hometown, and he preaches a sermon in Luke 4, and he reads from the prophet Isaiah, and he says, this is why I have come, is to reach those on the margins. And all of the people uh, respond to him. It's, it's a really funny story in Luke 4. They're like, oh, yes, nice sermon, Jesus. That's, that's wonderful. Reach to the margins. Yes, we love it. And then Jesus says, in fact, they're going to get into heaven in front of you, and then all the people try to kill him after church. It's great. Um, I haven't preached a sermon like that yet. I don't know what it's going to take for that to happen, but uh, 
But yeah, that's Jesus' sermon in his hometown. He's like, yes, reach to the margins. I'm like, yes, and the marginalized get into heaven before you. Kill him. But this is what Jesus believes. He believes that this life together with those on the margins is worth it. He believes that God loves them as much as God loves him. As much as God loves anybody else. As much as God loves you and me. It's not easy to do that. It's not easy to reach to the margins, but it's better. It's incarnational. It's local life together. It's what we're created for. And not only does Jesus do this, not only does not only does Jesus reach toward those in the margins, and not only does Jesus surround himself with people in regular fellowship, but Jesus calls us to that as well. Jesus invites us into that. We've talked, um, uh, we talked last year, uh, in the last third of last year, about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We talked about following our rabbi, becoming like him, knowing what he knows so that we can do what he does. And one of the marks of being a follower of Jesus is being incarnational like Jesus. Being present and being rooted where we are, surrounding ourselves in regular fellowship and reaching toward those on the margins to invite them into that. This is the mark of becoming like Jesus, or one of the marks of becoming like Jesus. It's loving our neighbors what it really is. It's loving each other who are here in this room. It's loving those that we, we worship with and call our communities. Loving our neighbors who are out in the world. Who are vulnerable and overwhelmed. Who are marginalized and downtrodden. Suffering and hurting and helpless. And, and they are not like us neighbors. This is a mark of becoming like Jesus. In fact, it, it may actually be the mark of becoming like Jesus, to engage in this kind of incarnational life. Jesus uh, talks about this, and uh, we're going to leave the Gospel of Luke and go to the Gospel of Matthew for a moment. And there's a story that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Matthew, and you may have heard it before. Um, it's a story he tells about the, the end of the world and, and what will happen then. And in the midst of this story, it's actually a series of stories throughout Matthew 25, but in this particular story, he talks about this idea of incarnational living, of, of loving our neighbor, of, of being present uh, with each other and with the marginalized. And here's what he has to say. This is Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to pick up reading at verse 31. Jesus speaks to his disciples and says this, When the Son of Man, that's Jesus, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats at the left. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you... Uh, welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? 
And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Uh, a lot of times when I have heard this story talked about, it becomes a story about Christians and non-Christians. And I don't think that that's what's happening here. Because the story is about a shepherd and his sheep and his goats. It's about a shepherd and a flock. And separating his, his flock into those who are, have done what he's asked and those who have not done what he's asked. I think that this is a story about Jesus and those who claim to follow Jesus. And that's a, a, little, um, a little disturbing to me to think about it that way. Because when I think about it as Christians and non-Christians, I can very easily put myself in one of those categories and go, Ha ha, yes, I am going to be in. Excellent. I'm not like those people. But if I think about it in a way uh, that this is Jesus and his flock and he's asking us whether or not we've done the thing that he does or he's asking us whether or not we've done the thing he's asked us to do. He's asking us whether or not we've been incarnational people to the world around us. Well, this takes on a different tenor and I have to ask myself some hard questions. Have I engaged regularly in fellowship with those around me? Have I reached to the margins to include those who are not like me? Have I uplifted those who have been beat down? Have I cared for those who cannot care for themselves? Have I loved those who are unloved by society around me? I have to begin asking myself those questions. This isn't a story about Christians and non-Christians. It's a story about whether those who claim to be of Christ have lived incarnationally in the way of Jesus. And the story isn't meant to scare us, I don't think, but to underline the importance of practicing this kind of life together. We're called to live out life together. We're called to be an incarnational people. So how will we do that? How will you live out the incarnational life of Jesus in your own life? How will you practice local life together? By, by worshiping together, certainly. We do that. By serving, perhaps. There are a number of ways to serve in this community, to serve in the atrium downstairs. We're always looking for more people to help with our children, to, to serve with our teens, our wonderful teens. You guys are awesome. To serve in Rose Street with, uh, with our guests, um, uh, who come to our building day in and day out. Monica, there's always room for more people, right? See Monica, do you want to volunteer? There's room to serve. 
We're going to start talking in a few weeks about, um, about our, our, our annual um, meeting and what leads up to that and, and the commissions and the lead team that, that helps the church operate. There's room on those for people to serve. There's room for us to have fellowship together. There's room to join a, one of our care groups or to start a care group. If you're interested in that, talk to me or talk to Scott. We'd love to have that happen. There's room to reach out in fellowship to people that we don't know often and don't often get to, to spend time with. Randy told us that the potluck is coming up at the end of the month. Time to come together in fellowship with people who, who we don't get to see very often, who may not be very much like us and learn perhaps from their experience. How will you live incarnationally? Sign up at the table when you leave. There's a sheet there for the prayer canopy on the on the third Saturday of the month, our church uh, invests our time praying over the city of Cincinnati. So you can be a part of that. Get engaged with City Gospel Mission. We're going to start uh, doing some stuff with the City Gospel Mission soon. Uh, and there's going to be room to volunteer there and, and help out. Uh, help out with the family that Randy mentioned a refugee family who has come to us that we've been told this morning we have an opportunity to help someone on the margins. Don't let that opportunity pass you by and so many, 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 many other ways besides that. Ways that you know of that I don't. Ways in your own neighborhoods, in houses next to you, in the places you work, in the places you live, there are ways to reach the marginalized. Invest in relationships. Invest in becoming a Barnabas to a Timothy. Invest in mentoring. We live in a world that longs for connection. We live in a world that absolutely longs for connection. We live in a world where relationships are increasingly disembodied. Our relationships happen only online or through email or or through text. Our relationships are very, are very passing. Hey, how you doing? Good, great, glad to see you. See you in a week. What could be more important, do you think, than being incarnational? God believed so much in doing life with us that he became one of us to engage in life together. So engage in regular fellowship and reach for those on the margins and invite others to do that uh, with us as well. We want to take some time this morning. We want to celebrate the incarnation of Christ, that he came, that he was uh, among us as one of us, and that he died for us on the cross, that he gave himself for us, and that he rose again uh, to give us new life and the promise of eternal life. And so we come into our time of communion. In just a minute, we'll invite you to come uh, and take the elements of communion and take them back to your seat. And when we've all been served, uh, we'll enjoy them together. Uh, I should let you know, we, um, we, we have run low on some communion supplies through an error on our part. We apologize for that. So there are some cups of juice, but you may also choose uh, to take some of the prepackaged uh, communion um, that's here on the table as well, um, along with regular communion bread and gluten-free communion bread. So there's a variety to choose from there. Uh, as we come into our time of communion, though, we want to invite you, please, if you're able and willing, to stand with me and enter into a time of confession. 
uh, as we come before uh, Christ in this way. So would you join me in these words of confession? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. Please come and receive the communion.